0: Hello, my name is Ben Oden. I am an author, capacity building, and leadership development trainer. Each week, Mimi, pamoja na viongozi who will be featured on this podcast, will bring you leadership principles, stories, and philosophies that, if applied, will elevate you into a position of more influence among those you lead and those who lead you. Hello there. I would like to begin this episode with a note. Uh, we had some technical challenges recording this episode, but the conversation was too important, so we hope our best efforts to fix the issues will make this an enjoyable listen for you. Greetings to you. I hope you are doing well and having a productive day. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Wild Lead Others podcast, and I'm your host, Ben Oden. So this is quite a special episode, um, and we'll get into it, why it is it's such a big deal for me, the 50th episode. Um, aside from the fact, of course, you know, um, a lot of people who start podcasting, uh, especially in our region, don't necessarily get to 50. Um, but there's a more specific reason as to why this is a very big deal. And we'll explore that. on the get to a very specific idea that we'll explore later on. And so to celebrate this moment, I am joined by two of my favorite people to have conversations with. And uh, there are no strangers to the podcast. I think both of them have been featured in at least two episodes on the podcast. So this will be, I think, the third for both of you. And funny enough, two of the longest episodes I've done are both with you guys. So this will be quite a special one. Uh, We'll explore ideas, tools, frameworks, um, all basically framed and meant to help you uh, design and live a life that is interesting and meaningful. To you so princely
1: and Asante. Well. thank you for um, so, having us
0: about many things you guys uh have a habit of sharing different ideas and what are experimental models and tools and frameworks on twitter and uh and they generate quite a you know like uh read what's it, a response uh impressions so i thought it would be good to start off with me throwing some of the tweets you know because there's with tweeting is there's a limit of characters, right? You can't say too much. Um, so I'll throw a tweet to your side and then using less than a minute, sort of like explaining or diving deep into what you meant and what was the idea that you were trying to communicate. So we'll start with you, Sam. Um, I think this was in March this year, where you said champions never get bored of their fundamentals. And I'll pair this with another tweet that you said, uh, Master the monotonous. Mm-hmm. Master the monotonous, and then champions never get bored with that fundamentals. What did you mean by this and what this look like? Alright, thanks man. Um,
1: before, before I respond, I, I mean, I've got to say uh, it's fantastic to be with you on this, this 50th uh, episode. I love loved um, your journey, your process, um, your preparation but most importantly, your consistency over, over years, really. And I, I feel that the, the podcast is already gathering, building momentum. So kudos to you, congratulations, and I'm looking forward to, to, to the uh, episode. Uh, and I know how much work it takes to keep it going, to get guests to prepare, and, and all that is, I think, is bearing some of also. So thank you, thank you very much for doing it.
2: On that note, Samuel speaks for both of us. Yeah. So, so, um, a lot of times
1: um, I treat for myself, you know, uh, or they are reflections of what I probably weren't going through. Yeah. Um, so, all there are reflections of something I'm going through, or an idea I've, 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 I've sort of, um, I'm ruminating on. And uh, I think that morning, um, I must have been, uh, you know, I must have just had a run or a workout that morning, and it was just very boring. You know, why am I doing this? It's five thirty in the morning. Um, I could be doing something else. Could be doing a lot more pleasurable things, like sleeping. Uh, but but to me, it's, 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 it's a fundamental aspect of uh, good and, 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 and interesting living that you know, when it comes to life, there are things that are so fundamental um, that you cannot rely on your motivation or inspiration to, to, to do them, you know And they are basic things that keep you, you know going on and you you are able to do the interesting things um, as a result of being able to do the basics and and the reason I say champions are not bored of the fundamentals or the basics is that if you look at every game um, or every profession really there will be a few things that you you cannot get wrong, you know, you you cannot get your physique wrong, you cannot get your emotional state wrong, because if you don't get those fixed, they tend to compound negatively on other aspects of your life. So it's kind of a reminder that um, a lot of what keeps us going may be boring, um, may be monotonous, uh, may may even be uninspiring. But it's very important to keep doing those basic things so that you're in the right frame of mind to explore the kind of more interesting things um, in our lives. And I think it it has application for our our health, our relationships, our mental health, um, and and everything, our professions, our careers, and everything else around us. If you want to be a champion at something, those basic fundamental things have to be taken care of. Yeah.
0: I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate. Is that the fundamentals? uh, We we have a habit, I think, or the tendency as people to get used to things quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're always seeking that new thrill and that new thing Mm -hmm. to do. And I think that a maintenance is monotonous for the most part. Mm -hmm. You have to do sort of like the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think yeah. So that's I think it's very 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 uh, useful idea. Um, Always uh, never lose sight of the fundamentals. Um, I think in all aspects of life. Now, yeah. princely, mm-hmm. um, This was a treat I think you did in April.
2: Okay.
0: You can't control what happens to you. You can control how you respond. A mm-hmm. basic truth you forget too easily. So, the fundamentals end the fact that you don't control what happens, but you control how you respond. You need to stick on that little little?
2: Yeah, so I think in in a super similar way to to Sam and uh, to uh, many people I I respect, most of the tweets that I make are usually reminders to myself. And they're usually lessons either I'm learning or synthesizing at the moment. And um, one of the biggest lessons I've been learning over the past uh, few years um, is how uh, what is within your control, should be the majority of your focus, as far as is humanly possible, right? Mm -hmm. You should focus on the stuff that's within your control. And uh, then building on that, uh, what is it then that you can control? Uh, Too often we try and control outcomes, right? And you find that generally you don't have control over outcomes. You have control over what you do. You don't have control over what happens outside of, of yourself. And um, you don't have control over either what has happened to you or uh, what happens after your, your input. And so if you can limit your focus to your input, uh, you have uh, more relaxed, you have uh, less stressful, you have a... Um, uh, it, it, it's essentially part of growing up. Is mm-hmm. figuring out what you can control and what you can't, and then not allowing the stuff that you can't to worry you. Mm-hmm. So this might be a bit abstract, right? It might sound a bit up up in the air in the sense of like oh outcomes and inputs and and what and whatnot. But it has application. It is one of those fundamental basic truths that you can apply to uh, pretty much everything. If mm-hmm. you're um, if it's when it comes to making money, you cannot really control. Uh, how much money you make Mm. but you can put yourself in the position to make uh, a, a significant amount of money. Mm. You cannot control, let's say, for example, I run a business, I can't control how many clients I get, but I can control how many I reach out to. I can control uh, the, how I speak about my skill set. and I can control the quality of the work that I do. I can control um, how I spend the money that I make, mm. right? So once, once you start noticing... Um, you, I hear uh, young people all the time talking about how they want to make a million dollars, or they want to make, they want to be a billionaire, and it's like that's a good thing to dream of. But you have uh, way less control over whether you become a billionaire or millionaire than you probably think. But you have a lot of control of the things, the fundamentals mm. that you can uh, master. Mm. That. Put you in a great position to become these things that you you want, mm. and so it's 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 less about I think growing up I think becoming an adult I uh, is realizing what you can control and focusing on what you can, what you can control.
0: Yeah, I think so. This ties into this idea that I want to talk about, this idea of anti-fragility, mm-hmm. because I think to a, to a larger degree it is based on that idea, um, and. Sam is the one who actually introduced me to anti fragility. I think we were taking a walk one day, and then he, I think it was right around the time when he was diving deep into anti fragility. And so he explained it to me, and I think after explaining that idea to me, I started, it's like my eyes were open, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started looking at life and looking at different things very differently. And yeah, of course, I proceeded to actually buy these two books I think, Black One and uh, Anti Fragility. And so maybe before we actually proceed uh, you know, in terms of exploring what this idea is and what it could mean, uh, adapting it into one's life, uh, maybe one of you could actually explain what is
1: a So I uh, will let Prince Lee explain. But if if I if I may, I would like to react a little bit to to what what he says. I mean I think this is uh, this is one of those. Um, very princely things, by the way, but also very fundamental things that I'm, I'm always learning from him. This idea of an internalized locus of control. Mm. But, um, you know, Happy he's, he's, he's right. very he's very articulate with that. But I think I would stretch it a little bit farther mm-hmm. by saying once you appreciate that fact, mm. you also begin to measure things differently. Yeah. Because you measure the things that are within your control, mm. not the outcomes themselves. Yeah. So you, you almost become indifferent yeah. uh, to, to what happens as a result of your input plus some other factors. But your measurement becomes, your given the circumstances wow. I am in, within the locus of control, the things that I can control yeah. How am I faring? Yeah. And and you get a little bit more realistic about your contribution to the results around the world. Yeah. It's, it's both humbling, mm-hmm. but it's also incredibly freeing. Mm. Because now suddenly you realize actually there are not that many things that I should care about anyway. Mm-hmm. And the things that I care about... Um, Uh, There are very little uh, pockets where I have full autonomous control. Mm. The other things, you know, so think of businesses, careers, relationships, um, countries, you know, um no matter what I do as an individual, I can't control the inflation rate. No. So there's no point beating myself about, you know, the inflation is gonna up is going up or down. But I can control how I put uh my my, my business skills into practice mm-hmm. so that I make more money or I, I you know where you climb invest. up the ladder, where I invest. How you save. How you save. And there will be events that will blindside me mm-hmm. because I'm not gonna see everything. No. But once I've seen that, then it's within within the control. So I think it's one of it's a very fundamental uh, foundation for one to appreciate and kind of design their lives around. It's both freeing, it's humbling, but it's also probably the most satisfying thing because then you're measuring yourself against yourself because you're the only one who can control what you can control. So I was just uh, adding to that. Um, There
2: there are two things that kind of flow from that. mm -hmm. One is this um, epistemic humility that uh talib talks about as well epistemic humility um uh, essentially epistem- epistemology is like the study of what you know what you can know and so epistemic humility is like a humility about what you can know and uh once you you kind of start realizing uh what your locus of control is what your what your uh circle of competence is you know there's that's another you know model that kind of flows from that that Um, one, if something is, if if there are things outside my control, I should be humble. Mm-hmm. about what I can and cannot know mm-hmm. what I can and cannot control but then there's also the idea of outcome independence or outcome blindness mm-hmm. that uh, kind of flows from the same area um, those are like four mental models wrapped up in one a circle mm-hmm. of competence you know what am I good at what can I be good at um, Buffett and Munger, you know some of the best investors ever uh, in the world they've never invested in in, 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 mm-hmm. in, in crypto or something. Tech and whatever, mm-hmm. because regardless of how, how high a return you can get in those fields, they talk about how they can't mm-hmm. understand it's those fields. It's outside of their circle of competence. And then the, the second idea of epistemic humility that you, you get to realize it's not just about what can I be competent at, it's also there are things you just can't know. Mm-hmm. And our world today kind of has this, this uh, focus on what we know This like our knowledge, right? But that Rumsfeld quote, there are no knowns, blah, 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 known unknowns and unknown unknowns. And it's the unknown unknowns that come and bite you in the ass, right? The things you don't know that you don't know. Um, And so it allows you to have some humility. However, outcome independence, the freedom that you have, that I'm not measuring myself based on what happens to me. I'm measuring myself based on what I do, based on what I control, based on my input rather than my outcomes. A little sad that this idea of outcome independence have kind of been has been popularized mostly by like uh, pickup artists, right? Where they talk about how if you're, you're let's say you're you trying you're a man and you're trying to uh, get. The woman of your dreams, or you know, all these different like women, you're trying to bag all these different women. You should focus less on how they're responding in terms of uh, like like. Uh, you should focus less on like umepata au nini. You should just focus on yourself. You mm-hmm. become a more competent man, become a more a high value man, as they put it. Mm-hmm. A little unfortunate that that's where it's kind of been popularized a lot, but you can apply this idea of, of outcome independence. Uh, Nietzsche mm-hmm. speaks of amor fati, mm-hmm. very similar. Um, con- it's the same constellation of ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm, the, amor fati is the idea that you love your fate. He writes in a letter to his friend uh, saying, I have surrendered myself completely to God. Mm -hmm. I have left my faith completely unto God where I don't only accept what happens to me, I love it. Mm. I'm like, <laughs> I love what happens to me because I can't control it. So I'd rather trick myself into loving it mm. so that then I can focus on what I can do about yeah. uh, what's happened to it.
0: And mm. uh, Paul talks about that as well, so contentment. Mm. And I think I like the language that he uses. He says, I have learned mm. to be content, right? And he talks yeah. about mm. the highs and the lows of his life. And, um, and he's like, yeah, you know wherever
2: I'm at I'm loving it there because yeah that's that's what i have chosen to accept mm-hmm. as my situation but I
0: think and we'll get to this later on right this idea of signaling and how sometimes yeah. that can confuse you and take you off of this mindset right where you you love your fate where you accept your situation where you know you work within what you can control mm-hmm. uh, versus trying to you know do it like how that person passes. yeah yeah um, or because of the reward that is on the other side of you know, where you are, I'll uh, pretend to be this and I'll pretend to look that way. We'll explore all of that um, later on, but I think for now,
2: it also makes you less envious. Sorry, I know oh, I know, you, I know yes. you want us you want us to go into uh, no, anti fragility, no, no, no. but it, it also makes you less envious uh-huh. because you're 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 less worried about what happens to other people. You're not exactly. only just less worried about what happens to you. You can't control that, but you sure as hell cannot control what happens to other no, people no. even less, mm. right? And so whatever they're doing that's working for them, doesn't bother you. I
0: think envy. I do if it's in Seven yeah, I believe so, yes. Yeah, uh, I think that's probably in this social media world, in this interconnected world, like say, that is probably. Yeah, I think it's definitely higher in terms mm-hmm. of the sins that we're all guilty
2: of. So I be I'm, so. I'm being envious of
0: what uh, someone else has or yeah. what you think you deserve. Most of the time, it's what you think you deserve. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a right to actually access this particular thing, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, how come that guy has it or that person has it? And I think we all know that there are people out there you consider who are less competent
2: than mm-hmm.
0: you in regards to certain
2: things. But you're seeing society rewarding them more mm-hmm. Than, mm-hmm. You than you are.
0: are. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think, yeah, but I think. Back, Can't it's control that. That I have personally been intentional about. Mm. Um, because it's very easy for me to compare myself to somebody else because I think for a long time that was useful in terms of pushing me to be better, right? Yeah. In terms of uh, mm-hmm. nah, like I look and then so having all these different models to compare myself to yeah. allows me or fueled my desire to get better, right? Yeah. But actually I actually realized along the way um, there was a side effect. Yeah. Yes, I was growing. Yes, I was you know taking uh, active steps forward. Yeah. But also, I was losing myself along the way. Um, and then, you know, it's like, who are you outside of your comparison? Who are you outside of? You know, using those models as a source of yeah. fuel to get to yeah. the next level. Yeah. If you remove them, who are you exactly? Yeah.
1: And is what you're trying to get to really a result of your own desires or is it? Yeah. Just and, and it's also, Ben, it's also... Uh, I mean it's it's important to appreciate that it's it's good that good things evoke envy in us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing, right? You know, you 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 don't want to accept everything in your life no. uh as if it's perfect, you know. Um but what is fundamental and and by the way if you're I don't know about you guys but if you're if you're clever or at least if you think you're clever um, as you grow up uh, you tend to become very competitive, yeah. which helps you. It helps you. Yeah, it, it, helps you drives. Put in, yeah, it drives you. It puts in the work. It's 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 very deep in our evolutionary sort of programming yes. that we compete. Particularly men, mm-hmm. we just compete because if you don't compete, you basically don't pro- procreate. Your <laughs> your your seeds are not going to to cross that generation.
0: Uh, 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 yeah. Yeah. You die out.
1: Yeah. So so so. So it is good that we measure ourselves against our peers. It is good because it gives you a sense uh, along the hierarchy where you are at, Mm -hmm. right? I think maybe the challenge with social media is that now you're not only measuring yourself against your neighbor who is maybe... (laughs) as old as you are, uh, comes from the same kind of family background as you are, now you're comparing yourself to everyone else in the world, everywhere. So we are here in Tanzania and there is a 50 year old American millionaire and there is a 60 year old Japanese billionaire who I, in theory, can look at their lives and want to compare myself exactly, to them. Exactly, right? So, So, I mean, they could be poorer or, or, or richer. But the point is, if we don't watch out uh, for who we are comparing ourselves against, um, then we get into this situation where either we become very envious or we become... Unproductively envious. Uh, yeah, so unproductively <laughs> envious or we become too proud, Mm. because there's always somebody that you are ahead of yeah. and there's always somebody that you're behind. Yeah. That's why JP says one of his rules is compare yourself to who you were, not, mm. not anybody else because yeah. you are the only objective comparison to yourself, you know? And, and that's, again, it comes to the locus of control where, mm-hmm. okay, I was this person last year. Who am I today? Mm -hmm. Of the things that I could have controlled, have I actually really, you know? Have I done what I know I I should do? And and, and, and usually the satisfaction, if you look at boxing matches, right? Sometimes I look, I, I, I I think the boxing match between Haggard and Lawrence, I came, I watched that clip and I thought, the guy who lost won. And the commentator was saying, I mean, the guy's punched way above his weight. Like, he lost the the battle, right? He lost the battle. But the kind of effort he put into that fight, he's going to be happy with himself. And and that is what you want. You want to be able to go to bed at the end of the day, end of the year, end of your life, saying, I'm happy with what I've been given I've really really given life my best choice you know my, who's, my best who's a brilliant example of yeah. that
2: um, one of my favorite thinkers is a kickboxer Israel Adesanya <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and Adesanya talks about this quite a bit about mm. how uh, first what he uh, who he compares himself with is mm-hmm. Adesanya last year mm. and Adesanya the year before that and uh, he had this his only loss in, 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 in MMA has come when he tried to go uh, the weight above, uh, light heavyweight, and got beaten by uh, Jan Blahovic. and everybody was like so concerned that you know he's taking this risk and he's going to lose his uh, his uh, flawless uh, record and whatever. And you listen to Adesanya's interviews before and after the fight, um, it, it's like. You know the, the 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 loss, the record. That's 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 outside of my control. I can only control mm. how well I prepare for the fight. I can only control how well I do in the fight. And well, looks, I found out light heavyweight. That's not for me right now. Mm. maybe for me in the future. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again yeah. in the future such a a freeing place to be in because everybody else is, you you know, you're the champion and you've been beaten and everybody else is even more concerned about Mm. your loss than you are and it doesn't remove that competitive Mm. uh, fire he's still one of like the most competitive people but it's more of like I know the work I've put in Mm. in myself and it doesn't look like you've done the same
1: yeah I think even regrets really I think Daniel has a book uh, where
0: he talks about how it's actually good to have regrets but I think many of the regrets that we have are really a result of our own awareness that we didn't go all in. Mm, that
2: I that's I true. Know for a fact, that is that true. I even
0: more. That is true. But I didn't. But I think when you go all in, it's very rare that you have any race,
2: That is uh, true.
0: Uh, whether you're relationally, uh, because if this is something that I think about as well a lot in terms of am I operating in this marriage in a way that, God forbid, anything goes south? I would have zero regrets mm. because I know that I was the best that I could.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, it could be maybe that you know your best was not good enough, right? Yeah. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. And I watch this in sports a lot, where you watch a player and they left everything on the floor,
2: mm. it's, and, and they're, they're fine. Yeah. Mm, and you mm. see the
0: attitude where they're like, "It's fine." Yeah. I watched the, you know, the tape over and over again there was nothing
1: I could this and, was uh, my best my this is the absolute best, best, best of what I themselves. could control I'm just mm-hmm. going to say the yeah. current Man United team cannot say that <laughs>
2: <laughs> at least <laughs> at least you say that about your own team they cannot say that <laughs> but, anyways, <laughs> but I think it's also actually it's a, much, it's a better transition to this whole idea of, of the
0: mess right? yes Yes. have um, got think we talked about comparison for a bit um, and I think Again, it's one of those ideas, much like anti-fragility, where you operate um, or, you know, you live your life. You've lived your whole life um, under the, I don't know if it's the control of this particular principle that's working, you know. Um, but I never really, I never knew that, you know, this is really, in all facets of life, mm-hmm. um, there was this principle, there is this thing that's working behind the scenes that really is directing most of our behavior. Um, And of course, exploring the idea, I was like, wow, okay, this is definitely something that we all need to be conscious of. So again, you're in control of (laughs) your part of the equation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I've come to realize most of the trends in the world, most of our behavior, most of our purchasing decisions. where you live, um, what careers you pursue, mm-hmm. who you marry as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. All of these different things, fundamental things in our lives and decisions are a result of this thing mm-hmm. um, that's operating, that uh, called the message. So, maybe you, yeah. see, you could actually start by defining yeah, sure. what it uh, is that our audience also knows what we're talking about and then we explore.
2: Yeah, so, so, you know, as I'm listening to you talk about how, uh, you know, there's this principle that kind of controls everything, whatever, and um, without defining it, it might start veering into the realm of conspiracy, you know, <laughs> conspiracy theory and whatever. But um, mimesis has been used uh, differently across uh, time. Um, like back, you know, philosophers used to use it to talk about how life imitates art or art imitates life, blah, blah, blah. But the way, the context of our conversation is going to be mimetic desire, specifically. And, and if, if I could define or describe mimetic desire, it's essentially the fact that human, uh, I think it's René Girard who says this, it might, it might be uh, Burgess who says this, but he, he talk about uh, human being the, an animal that does not know what they want. And it's an animal that looks to others of its species to figure out what they want. So this idea that we copy, uh, we, we, our desires are based on the desires of others, that we imitate the desires of others. So the word meme, for example, uh, which is at the root of, of the memes we see on the internet, The meme that Richard Dawkins uh, spoke about back in the 80s in the selfish gene and the meme in mimesis or uh, mimetic desire is just that unit uh, of culture that we copy uh, from each other. So essentially uh, mimetic desire is contrasted with authentic desire. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not really Kwamba authentic desires, ultimately, you know, the, the best and, and, and whatever. It's, it's more about how you should realize that so much of what you want isn't from you. It's because others want these things. So um, a classic example, the Pepsi, uh, the, I think it's called the Pepsi paradox or something like that. Uh, most people, it's been found that when they're blindfolded or when it's a blind test uh, between te- uh, Pepsi and Coke, they prefer Pepsi. But when you put, uh, when, when they can see, what uh, they, you What's know, the, the, the brands, the, bottle, yeah. uh-huh, the, the branding on the bottles, they prefer Coca-Cola. So, you know, the same, literally the same people and the researchers would uh, do one blind test and a huge majority, 80 something percent would pick uh, Pepsi. And then you do the same same group, give them the branded bottles, they would uh, pick Coca-Cola. We want what we think Uh, others want we don't know we don't spend a lot of time uh, figuring out what we desire we pick up our desires uh, uh, from others same uh, final thing same thing for for uh, like uh, expensive wines right Um, most people have a wine that they prefer right Uh, and in blind tests People, uh, the the range of the preferences that people have for wines is all across the spectrum in terms of price. The price doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But in reality, uh, when people know the price of the wines, when they see the bottles, the presentations, uh, people prefer the expensive wines. Uh, the more expensive wines. There's there's something in it that w- we see that others desire this more. That's why it's highly prized. So it must be better. Mm. Jay-Z used this to his advantage, bought an old, um, uh, you know, uh, this this uh, uh, wine company, uh, Armand de Brignac. And he changed it, called it Ace of Spades, put it in a gold bottle, increased the price. And by increasing its price, increased its sales volumes. Mm. <laughs> because now it's more desirable. jay is talking about Ace of Spades in his nanny mm. in his music videos, and now mm. it's also more pricey. Mm. You know, uh, Stefan Goods mm. in, in, in economics. Mm. So people desire it more because Jay-Z wants it. Other people must want it, so I must want it as well.
0: Mm. And I think this also speaks into the culture as well. How many brands um, have Influencers or ambassadors or brand ambassadors mm. um, who are essentially models, people who represent a lot of the things that we want in life, and mm. they are wearing that shirt and they're wearing that watch mm. um, and you know, wearing <laughs> those shoes. I think you mm. can look throughout history, um, many of the consumer brands that are out there have capitalized on that mm. particular thing that you know what, yeah. Um, I want this not necessarily because of how good the particular product is, but it's because so many people want the same
2: inside. Jordans. Yeah. We were talking about Jordans earlier. Yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: You want to go... Yeah. Why yeah. do you want to wear Jordans, right? It's because so many people wear Jordans. They're yeah. not necessarily
2: <laughs> the best looking shoes. Or, yeah. uh, Didi. I was watching Didi the other day uh, dunk completely on, on these brand of watches. Uh, Richard Milley you know, really expensive watches. Mm. Drake has like ten of them and they're all above like a hundred thousand dollars. Some he mm. bought one for like five million dollars or whatever. And Diddy was like, ah, you know, these watches look like shit. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know why anybody wants them. I have two. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I have two of them. But I don't I don't understand why uh. anyone wants these watches that look very ugly. But then same same uh, principle of like uh, mimetic desire mm. uh, because Richard Milley has been able to kind of position himself as this is a, a watch that is a hundred thousand dollars and there's people who we look up to as models mm. uh, of wealth of opulence of affluence uh, buying it and not just buying it um, Drake who you, you would consider you know is, is opulent affluent you uh, He's not just buying it and sh- keeping quiet about it. He's proud of it. Mm. Drives sales for this guy like crazy mm. because now all of us want the same thing. Uh, look them up, maybe show them on the screen or something. Ugly-looking
1: pieces of of uh, steel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so so firstly I, I there there are two things that again I always try to get to the principles, the sort of the foundation. Why why do we have memetic desires uh, in in, in contrast to to authentic desires? So I think, I'll use this word a lot, evolutionarily, um, we are creatures who want to belong. And for good reasons, because we are... Individually, we are very weak. If you think about a human, there's, there's absolutely no reason why humans are kind of top of the food chain. We, 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 are, we are the slowest. I mean, not the slowest, but we are pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are really not that impressive. If you think about it, we just have a big brain. Mm-hmm. We can run, but we're not that fast. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got you know, good lungs. Mm-hmm. What we do have are those two things. One, we have a big brain, and two, we can come together. So, as a human being, if you're evolving in the savannas of Africa, as the writers say... Right here in Tanzania. (laughs) Right here. (laughs) Your best bet is to be part of a group. Yeah. Right? So that's one. And then two, we take too long to cognitively develop. Mm. Right? And... There's just too much going on for us to think about the most rational thing to do at the time. Mm. So again, your best bet as a human in the savannah of Africa is to do what others are doing, mm. right? It is safe for you. Yeah. There is safety in numbers. You know, We hunt in parks. Yeah. We live in caves together. So, so uh, it's, it's a very useful heuristic. kabisa to do what others are doing particularly older humans mm-hmm. because up until you're in your mid 20s maybe you've not met a lion you've never seen anyone killed you don't know if that river is is poisonous or not so you want to do what the rest of us are doing mm-hmm. that keeps you safe i think i think now that kind of transport that it's into the modern world where we are wired to copy. Yeah. And by the way, we are wired particularly to copy those who we think are Have of succeeded. a higher status yeah. in life. Yeah. Because... You can't make a rational decision on what is the best watch no. because you don't know anything about yeah. watchmaking. At least I don't. So right. So I look at Drake. Yeah, exactly. Or I don't know whether it's a phone or it's a laptop or it's this, 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 uh, this microphone. So we tend to just say, okay, somebody else is doing that. It, it, I I don't have enough time to go into research. Yeah. But I'm gonna trust yeah. that. So I think I think uh, the the challenge that comes in the modern world is that we don't appreciate that we are—we have evolved to copy others. Yeah. And therefore we need to make a distinction. Yeah. Am I doing this because others are doing or am I doing this in my best interest? And yeah. we are not as rational as we think we are, <laughs> right? We are really, really irrational human yeah. beings. Yeah. Part of the reasons we are irrational is that there's just too much to figure out. So we are creatures of habits and our habits are useful. We eat the same things. We yeah. kind of like do the same things. Usually humans do that. So so I think uh, for me, when it comes to mimetic desires is being conscious mm. of my desires yeah. and sort of making a mental note to remember mm. that, okay, I may desire these things, but who am I really in this equation? Am mm. I really desiring this, or am I desiring this because I want to belong yeah. mm. uh, to a bigger group? You yeah, know? and
0: I think there's a there's an experiment that I saw, uh, I think in the 70s, where these um, psychologists and scientists uh, went to a hospital, mm. and I think there were like three newborn babies. Mm. They have never seen a human being okay. in their life, okay. so this guy who showed up was the first human being they saw. Yeah. And so the guy was looking at the kids and he started making faces. Mm-hmm. His mouth, he would, you know, and watch the kids. Yeah. And the kids would mimic everything this guy does. Yeah, And so, and then they came to a conclusion that, I mean, a human baby is born and developed in many ways. Yeah. That's why they need the care of the mother to nurture them until they are able to sort of like, survive and do their own thing. Yeah. But one of the few things that are fully developed when a human being is born is their ability to mimic others. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. As that's one of the few things that fully developed when yeah. you show up. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where you're born. And that's why some people joke that, you know, if a child is actually born in the jungle, they would behave like how yeah. in animals yep. yep. behave compared to someone who's born. Yeah. Um, even a child who's born in a household where there are many walking human beings, they would probably walk a lot faster than a child who's mostly alone.
2: It, it is. It is, in fact, our competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, that's why I started off kind of by saying, "I don't want us to set up authentic desire as this be-all and all that we should mm-hmm. all just, do, you know, yeah. you should aim for um, at least knowing what your authentic desires are versus mm-hmm. uh, what your mimetic desires are, and you should aim for examining uh, mm-hmm. your desires." But here's the thing: um, our ability to learn is nothing but an ability to imitate, Mm. right? And our ability to learn is what sets us apart, evolutionarily, Mm. right? Uh, To to kind of hark on the point you're making. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We we're born, not tabula rasa, like you're Mm. saying, we're born at least with this, and I need to imitate. And that is our evolutionary advantage. The fact that we can adapt to things. And evolutionarily, evolutionary evolutionary, strength or evolutionary fitness is adaptiveness. It's nothing else but ad- adaptiveness. We're not the strongest. We're not the, the biggest. We're not the fastest. Mm. We have a lot of uh, stamina. Like mm. we, we can do marathons. Mm. No other animal can, can do marathons the way we can. Um, that's probably our physical advantage. Yeah. I don't know how useful that is. Maybe it's allowed us to spread, uh, you know, uh, farther oh, yeah, yeah. Than, than, than other animals, but um, the, the fact that we are able to learn things and the fact that at the bottom, the foundation of learning is essentially imitation, mm. um, that's a huge advantage. Yeah. So like everything we're going to say in this podcast, it's a calibration thing. Mm. It's, it's realizing, you know, how, how usefully you can apply these concepts mm. that, that we're talking about. It's, yeah. the, nothing here is, absolutely no, useful. no, nothing here is absolutely <laughs> useful. It's, it's functional yeah. and, and uh, you can apply it. So, um, <clears throat> for example, sisikama um, Kama I don't know how much Kiswahili I can mix in here. Okay, so, Sisi Kama tuna tunawazaga swala la originality we we have this desire to be original but we also end up looking very much like others. There's mm. this, there's this uh, joke, I, I, you know, joke or meme or cartoon or whatever that talks about how, oh, look at these young people all rebelling, all doing their own thing in their Nike shoes and their, <laughs> and their Balmain t-shirts, you know, but all of them, you know, it's just, this one's red, this one's blue, this one's yeah. black, but it's Nike shoes and, and Tommy Hilfiger yeah. polos. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we imitate each other mm. and we have this restricted view of originality mm. Where we see originality as like, oh, I came up with my own thing. Mm. Well, originality, according to, to what I think at least, and I've stolen this idea, um, but according to me, um, originality is synthesis, mm. right? Originality is uh, a multiplicity of sources, mm. right? Like I, I have 10 sources and my own as the 11th, mm. so I'll come up with something original. Yeah. We aim for authentic or originality- as this is 100% mine, which is a, a bar that's too, a threshold that's too far mm. to, to climb. Mm. So, Austin Kleon, he writes this book, Steal Like an Artist, mm. where essentially he steals the ideas of Steve Jobs, who stole the ideas of uh, Michelangelo, Michelangelo, who says, great artists, uh, good artists copy, great artists steal. Mm. The best artists, the smartest individuals mm. are the ones who are able to combine mm. all these different uh, ideas mm. from others. But I think even if you are, you are successfully original, mm. your desire to be original is an imitation of somebody else who's original.
0: Mm. Because I think you can just follow, like, for example, even in art and music, for example, mm. you can see the rise of figures like Kanye West, mm. who was considered original yeah. in his time, right? After he became successful, then the Drakes of the world showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, then the Tyler the Creators showed up. So many rappers came who were considered original. Pink up. Mm-hmm. So you can see that even wanting to be original, wanting to be unique, that desire to be unique mm. is sometimes a result of seeing a model that's, unique or yeah. that's considered unique. It, it yeah. should be so design- completely escape.
2: Mm. you should you should merely desire to be sufficiently original mm. like just just clear I, I don't know what the bar is but there's there's certainly like you should just desire to calibrate towards mm. authentic desire mm. calibrate towards original thinking mm. calibrate towards uh, synthesizing all these different ideas, all these ideas we 're talking here they 're recycled they 're not mm. stuff that we've we've uh, come up with or mm. we 're coming up with right now mm. but this is probably the first time we 're putting them in this context in this way
1: mm. so I, I would I would actually go a little bit farther and maybe i'm 'm stretching the argument there yeah. is that um, the 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 fact that we think somebody 's original. Um, only means we don't know we can't put their sources together (laughs) very clearly so Albert Einstein said something similar to Mm -hmm. what you're talking about, he Mm -hmm. says the key to creativity is combinatory play Mm. and you just have to combine things in a beautiful way yeah. and it would look new mm-hmm. you know and we're talking about you know we 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 did talk about range yes and yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, exactly, exactly. any yani, uneza uneza uka uneza uka uneza uka leo hii ukenda kama umetoka muanza mm. saa uka jia muka jia puani uka pikiwa yeah. uka pikiwa pilawa ubawa uh Au biriani Kama ujae kuona Ujae kuona biriani maisha kwa yote Uneza ukafikiri mama na pika biryani Atari Genius fibaya mnu Lakini biriani inye enezekana Sos yake ni Asia India In, India right Na ukienda kubule kuta inapikwa vile <laughs> <laughs> like in the these guys are vegetarians. You understand, eh? So we add a bit of beef, we add some spices that are local here, and you have a new, a completely new recipe. Actually, some of the best restaurants do that. They borrow culinary ideas yeah. from many, many different. Exactly. Many, 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 many different cuisines. Some
2: um, of the America best. Itself, America itself, as an idea.
1: Yeah. America itself, as a country, it's is,
2: is a water melange. Water. It's a melting pot. Yeah. It's a melange of, of all these different, yeah. so, uh, all so, these different
1: ideas. So, so, if you think about, I think, over the last 200 years, you could say there are two, two, uh, two main ideas. Absolutely novel, new, original ideas. Mm. One, not 200, maybe 300 years. One is Charles Darwin, the origin of species, evolution. Phenomenal, revolutionized science. Nothing original about Charles Darwin. Because Charles Darwin studied geology. And he, I remember, I remember reading his book and he was talking about the fact that he was studying geology and how rocks metamorphosize mm-hmm. over time and mm-hmm. pressure mm-hmm. that transforms some rocks into different structures. And over millennia, the book is by Jay Gould and he, he, he was writing to his friend is saying, thank you for sending me that book because I was stuck. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how species came, but I was stuck. I did not know. But the moment I read this, I put them before and Uh. suddenly I have a new theory. Uh. Albert Einstein, the, the idea that space and time can kind of it's it's almost like a surface, mm-hmm. you know. That is him. Look, he, he's saying I was observing curtains, and I could see that the fabric of space. I could imagine that is what the fabric of space is. Johannes Kepler, who 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 um, came up with, the, he's the first proponents of the heliocentric theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and they couldn't figure out, Mike. Uh, you know, um, Galileo and their, yeah. and every was like, what is happening here? He he knew that we could not be the center of the universe, but not why. But not why. And then he looks at certain and the rings, mm. uh, 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 the moon, and the, the moons around certain. and he says, "I have observed that when there is heat, there is a field of heat. The closer you are to the to the to the source of the heat, so we must be close to some source of gravitational force. That's why we are feeling. Mm. So I guess what I'm saying is." a lot of what we think is original is just uh, an idea from one domain that has been imposed on another domain in such a beautiful way that you look you look at it and it's new like
0: Wow. You know? Funny enough. And
1: it's just, it's brilliant. And this <laughs> is something that we probably need to carry as a life lesson. Kwamba, uh-huh. there's no knowledge that is wasted. <coughs> mm-hmm. You know, you you could be studying art and history and science. And maybe this is probably the the the, the blind spot of our modern educational system. Yeah. Because it... platonicity. Exactly. It confines us to oh, I'm, you're an account you're, you're a historian, you're and this is what the Renaissance uh, period we we're talking about. Renaissance they just they just studied everything it's because, like because you knowledge never quite knowledge. know. Yeah, but anyway, that's that's just no, I, I, a separate topic. No, it is, but actually, well, the example I wanted
0: to give is actually when I <coughs> was Gerard because he messes result of his teaching literature. Yeah, he, he was required to read a lot of novels mm. and books and. In reading all those stories, he saw a pattern that mm. the desires of the characters were always a result mm. of them observing something else in their surroundings. And yeah. so we kept seeing that pattern in literature. Mm. And so, of course, then he started developing this idea. And then, of course, you know, being a multidisciplinary thinker, you know, then psychologists were involved and mm. other people were involved. And then, you know, here we have, and we're here talking about this, you know, like yeah. you know, a few yeah. years later. So you, I, I completely agree with you in terms of Many of the ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why even there's, there's a high need to teach people thinking skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think w- once you can think, you can solve a lot of your problems, yeah. really, because then you can put the different ideas mm-hmm. uh, together compared mm-hmm. to just, you know, which is an idea that I also want to explore, right? You mentioned um, a bit on it, right? This idea of, okay, um, what you can know um, mm-hmm. by just knowing, mm-hmm. and what you can know by actually doing, and I think, so well, yeah, all right. You know, like, how do we balance between these two yeah, aspects? Yeah. How do we become more aware of this, Um, tool? Now, speaking of, you know, the message and everything, I think the problem, something that Navarra Ravikant has said, um, that I think can be useful in terms of, you know, whether it's uh, calibrating the usefulness of this idea, I think we live in a world today where, yes, at one point, I think it was, you know, an evolutionary advantage, Mm-hmm. compared to like other species and you know, our ability to imitate and our ability to mimic others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the advantage that they had is that there was a limit of options, models. There weren't many models you can imitate. Mm-hmm. And I think if you go to how John Peterson talks about the whole, you know, I think is it lobster mm-hmm. theory, right? Where the most dominant gets on top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. I think you had very few of those guys who were mm-hmm. at the top of the food chain, right? And whatever you're imitating was useful in your context because, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's physical strength, whether it's the um, ability to be very eloquent in speaking, whatever that thing is. But I think today, with the world of social media and the fact that you get, in a click of a button, you are suddenly exposed to millions of models so that are trying to give you. Yeah, human beings, right? Yeah. And you, you don't know the context under which they operate, you don't know the history of their lives, you don't know, you don't have a full picture of how they're living, you just get yeah. snapshots of you know different highlights of their lives, and then you're trying to imitate, and you're trying to take that and make it your own, right? And I think that sort of like poses a threat. So there's this quote by Naval Ravikant. Mm. Uh, I think he said this when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, where he says most of modern life, um, all of our diseases are diseases of abundance, mm. not diseases of scarcity. Mm. The way to survive in modern society is to be an ascetic. It is to retreat from society there's too much society everywhere you go. The only solution is to turn it off. Mm. And I think if I was to sort of like, uh, interpolate this quote, mm. I would say that there's too many models, uh, mm. right? <laughs> and maybe the only solution is to turn off the majority of those models and select a few. So I guess my question here is, we live in a world that always talk about it. We, we talked about it when we went about that mentoring. Yes, yes. was this idea of be yourself. Yes. Um, Is it even possible to be yourself when you're exposed to an abundance of models? Because how do you know that you're actually being yourself compared to uh, being a result of a thousand models that you're mimicking, and sometimes without even knowing what you're mimicking?
2: Um, So so I'll kind of riff off off of uh, Naval's uh, quote there, and I'll kind of, not not outrightly disagree with him, but kind of just say how question how modern of a problem this is. Maybe the degree to which we are flooded with um, society today. You know, society follows you into your into your house, even when you're completely alone. You have social media. Mm. You know, society kind of. It's 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 like a bad odor, you know, that (laughs) sticks with you throughout, or a good odor, depending on how you are interacting with them. Uh, But it's it's not a particularly modern problem. Um, uh, Henry David Thoreau. Uh, back in the, I think, eighteen hundreds, you know, eighteen forties, yeah. Apple had had, you know, was facing the same challenges and and coming up with the same kinds of re- responses. The asceticism that you talk about, about how uh, solitude and you know, authentic, uh, you know, figure examining yourself so you can figure out what your authentic desires are. He wrote. Walden, after a year spent on completely on his own, being completely self reliant, out in nature, um, which is something that would be a solution to a lot of our problems. Switch off yeah. your phone, turn off everything, leave yeah. society for a while, go into the woods, and 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 build a an actual physical house yourself. You know, like all these. Uh, all the things that Naval is talking about were being faced in the 1800s and the solutions were being, were the same. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's probably a fundamental human thing, just mm. calibration, different degree, different threshold. Um, another thing I like that Naval talks about, about the modern age, which I, this one I agree with completely, is that uh, cheap dop- dopamine is the modern devil. Uh, he talks about how Shetani Maleo is the dopamine hits that we can get very cheaply. Mm. Back in the day, if you wanted to, um, to find a woman, to, you would have to actually physically go out there, put yourself out there, be charismatic and charming and speak to people and, and groom yourself. You know, You don't want to look sloppy, look clean and mm. be competent at something, be desirable. Today, um, people can substitute that with porn. People do substitute that with porn. They get a quick hit. They masturbate, and it's it's out of the mm. out of the nanny. You wanted to to um, share your thoughts with the world. You had to go through this very intricate publishing process, you know, and and all these gatekeepers, whatever. Today, you can just open your Twitter. Uh, you know, and and publish your thoughts to the world, and then a few days later have a conversation with Ben uh, on on a podcast. Um, but when you when you kind of take all of these ideas and bring them back to your question on on being yourself and how yourself you can be mm. in a world that is constantly trying to nani. First, I'd say it's not a new problem. Uh, Thoreau, same guy, talks about. Um, following the beat of your own drum. He mm-hmm. uh, take, takes, your, take your wagon and uh, hit your wagon to a star. Uh, you, yourself, hit your wagon, your, your life to a star and kind of like shoot as high as you want. But then, a few passages later, it talks about uh, following the beat of your own drum. Mm-hmm. The question is how? Just as it was 200, 300 years ago, as it is today, mm-hmm. how do you do that? While there's all these competing uh, forces for your attention, like I said, still, it's a calibration thing. You've you've got to realize um, you've got to realize that wanadamu uh, marazote, wata kwepo na society takwepo hayondoki anytime soon, and you're part of society, um, so as long as you're part of society, you're going to have mimetic desire. You're going to mm-hmm. want what others want. Because mm-hmm. like some will put it, ostracization used to mean death. Like literally, if, if, mm-hmm. your, if your group uh, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the wolves would eat you, the lions mm-hmm. would eat you. Mm-hmm. Um, lakini, if you spend at least a bit of time examining Your own desires, Mm. examining the people you're emulating, Mm. examining um, the things you want to accomplish in life, Mm. which is something we don't do, which is something we spend our entire lives not Mm. doing. Mm. Sometimes maybe actively not, mm. not examining ourselves because it's a mm. it's a difficult thing to do. Um, you might be able to get to some level of of uh, authenticity. Mm. It, it, so it kind of goes back to what I was saying. Maybe you shouldn't aim for you know hundred uh, percent authentic desire or hundred percent originality, mm. but you should uh, orient towards. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Like yeah. you should just orient yourself. Towards authenticity and authentic yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. design. No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more that you, you have to adopt an orientation of originality, and you ma- you mentioned Ralph uh, Ward or uh, Emerson, <clears throat> and I think okay, that's three hundred years ago. You can go a thousand seven hundred years ago, where my favorite author says, and he you know my favorite verse. Do not be conformed to the standards of this world, mm-hmm. be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which talks about two things. Even you know, at those times, you know, Paul is warning the Romans that look, this world has a standard. And if you don't watch out, you will conform, mm-hmm. right? But you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which in my head says you need to be thinking. About how I'm slowly transforming myself, and hopefully you get that originality, um, um, or you know along along the way. So so then it's it's mindless conformity is disastrous for your originality. You know, and unfortunately we have a school system where every setup, you go to an assembly line, the desk, uh, you have uniforms, everything is to conform to a certain standard, right? But also, re- but also reckless drifting, just because you want to be different is not necessarily appealing. So there has to be some kind of balance yeah. where you're saying that there are useful things for me to conform. Yeah. And there are also beautiful things for me to explore and and, and add back. Yeah. And, and this is maybe the challenge of youth. Because when you're young, there, there is a lot of heuristics. Mm-hmm. There are things you're told not to do. Mm. Most of them are useful. They are. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of do nots when you're young. And, and you ignore them
2: at your own peril. Exactly.
1: And you ignore them at your own peril. And it's quite frustrating. Like, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? But then, but then, you know, it, there's a, there's a saying that if you're not a leftist in your twenties, you have no heart. And if you're not uh, conservative or light, right-leaning in your 30s and 40s, oh, you man, have no kiddie. brain, right? Because <laughs> when you're young, you want to push through the boundaries. You want to change things. You want to change the world, actually. Yeah. Your appetite
2: for exploration is higher. Your right? appetite is yeah, yeah, higher. Yeah. But then
1: you, you get older, you mature, you realize, actually, there are, there are generations of humans just like me, with not necessarily inferior intellect, who have passed and have designed these things, yeah. and if I want to change, I better have better ideas, yeah. <laughs> because most ideas are not that much better. No. So I think it's that it's that balance where you appreciate that I'm part of the society. There are things that are done. This is vitu This is Tanzania. na Lakini Tanzania. Lakini Tanzania, What are other things that are authentic enough for me to explore without letting go of the, of the advantages of these uh, uh, common basic conformity um, positions? Yeah.
0: Interesting. Um, now, speaking of <coughs> postings, right, I like the mention information like a national identity, let's mm. say, or a tribal identity. Um, which were for a long time, really before technology, those were the models. Mm-hmm. and you, want to, you know, a lot of similarities, almost mm-hmm. sameness. Mm-hmm. And we call them stereotypes, but there's truth to right. Mm-hmm. So now, there's a portion of that group that really are quite similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, uh, uh what is it uh right mm. so like in now, it's a bit different. Mm. And I think that's why we, we even have this problem of like modernity. A mm. lot <laughs> food the company will have to and find it. So, well, if we want to hold on to these traditional ways of conducting ourselves yet we also are the most of the models that we're exposed to
1: mm.
0: are foreign. Mm. Um, which means outside of our particular um, immediate group, whether in your family, or whether in Kabila, or whether in whatever that group is, right? Um, so, but we all agree that its models are useful yeah. to a larger degree. So, my question to you guys is, I guess, um, one is how how do you identify the models you want to mimic? Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you do that? And at the same time, how do you create time in your life? practically speaking, um, to separate yourself from your society, whatever that looks like. If that's a phone, if that's a, a group of people, so that you make sure that you have enough time to really intentionally think through what is happening in your life. And examine so your. There know. is room for that originality, right? You are mimicking some <clears throat> group of people, but also you are mindful enough to actually make sure that you are, you know, charting out your own path and you know,
2: are carving your own lane. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very uh, interesting question. And um, uh, the first principle here, the foundation here, is uh, kind of summarizes what we've been speaking about. You're going to copy people. You're going to imitate. So the point is not uh, completely trying to rid yourself of imitation or copying, you know, because you have this misconstrued understanding of what originality and authenticity and being yourself means. Uh, you're going to copy people, um, but pick those you copy wisely. Pick you the people you're going to imitate, your models wisely. And this is something you mentioned at the at the um, uh, recording that we did the other day. Um, so. If, if that's the foundational principle, how do you then do that? How do you pick it wisely? And it goes back, surprise, surprise, to figuring out your own desires. I think you start off by setting out uh, what your own values are and then looking for people who've succeeded in those, uh, who, who kind of uh, are, are archetypal or uh, are, are great examples of what your own values are, because the the thing here, all right, the thing, the substance, is your values, and then the models are examples of your values. Uh, but most of us do it backwards. We we imitate values, and in a sense, I, I am I'm an existentialist generally in in my thinking. I think that um, you know life is essentially meaningless, and uh, your job is to to give meaning to your life, you, you you find you don't find meaning; you forge it, you create uh, what what you want your life to mean. And with that as a, as a, as a as a background, um, one thing I I truly believe is that perhaps the most important thing you can do with your life is to decide what you want your life to mean. And deciding what your life uh, what you want your life to mean includes Picking your values. Now, many of us, when we hear something like that, we think you have to come up with these values yourself. While it's not really about coming up with uh, these values. It's more about examining the values that have maybe resonated with you in the past. Uh, it's, it's more about examining what you've found to be true. Um, there used to be, uh, back in the day, there used to be these, these, uh, this, this phrase, what I know to be true is, uh, we, we use it a lot less these days, uh, but it's, it's about examining yourself and saying, what I have found to be true mm. is that if I act with integrity, um, I might not get the immediate reward, but first, I don't expose myself to the risk of losing everything in the long run. And uh, secondly, I expose myself to being a trustworthy person and interacting with people, uh, other high trust, uh, other high trust people. And so because I've found that uh, being a high trust person. A uh, person, or being a high integrity person, is useful in the long run. Then integrity is one of my values, right? Um, a long-term thinking could be something that you found that every time you've done the opposite, when you've you've thought in the short term, you've been burnt. The, the purchases you've made on a whim, the you know the the stuff that you you did or did not do uh, because you were thinking. Uh, short term have come back and bit you in the ass, you can then say, okay, one of my values is long-term thinking. Um, these, These ideas that we're speaking of, they've come from reading other people, they've come from seeing them with other people and then synthesizing them into our own value system, Right. And so at the same time, as I say, I'm an existentialist. I also am culturally Christian. I am very much Christian. Like my the, the thing that informs most of my values, if not all of my values, is this Judeo-Christian um, uh, understanding, because I've found that a lot of uh, of, of, of what, uh, what I believe and what I live out is based on that it's when when Paul talks about you know this this renewal of your mind that's something that I I believe when Jesus speaks of um, loving your neighbor as you love yourself you can tie that to to the other stuff that I believe uh, that that come from like uh, Kant you know like Immanuel Kant um, saying you know Jesus says do unto others as you would have them do unto you and I believe that wholeheartedly. The golden, um, rule, right? the golden rule. And Kant, uh, Kant's categorical imperative mm. is slightly uh, a slight adaptation of that or an, a, a, a growth from that that kind of says, do unto others what you would have all everybody. do unto all. <laughs> right? Like if, if you're going to do something, do it if you can set it as the rule for everybody and the world would be a good if not better place because now that's just that's those are footnotes to Jesus essentially you know they're, they're footnotes to to judeo-christian
1: uh, uh, beliefs yes. so, so, so prince <coughs> Lee, this may be controversial mm-hmm. but I think we can improve what Jesus said <laughs> okay. <laughs> welcome okay <laughs> what what you <do> I mean <laughs> <laughs> then he's not gonna be happy with this. But <laughs> 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 um, we're just <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're experimenting with ideas mm-hmm, here, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a safe space. <laughs> yes, yes. So so
2: the, the, I, I the, think the, the audience I th- might not be a safe space I for you, I but I think yeah.
1: Jesus would do a much better job saying this: mm-hmm. not do unto others what you would want them to do to you. Because there are things that I want to do to myself that you don't want. Mm-hmm. So let's say um, I like chocolate. What that means is give everybody chocolate because you like chocolate, right? What I would prefer as a rule is that don't do unto others what you don't want things done to you it's a negative rule Mm -hmm. and i think it's a better rule than a positive rule (laughs) okay (laughs) because there are things that you want for others that they don't want and you keep doing to them you're going to offend them but you're going to create chaos Mm. but if you have a negative rule that says i don't want to do that i shouldn't be able to do it for everybody else so everybody can do what they want but i shouldn't force them to do for to 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 do things that they don't want anyway that's just um, so. we, we'll get we'll get back to that too speaks to Sam's
0: passion with this is ideas, via negative that via idea via yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah like mean, the, the 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 main uh, they to encapsulate what I was saying mm-hmm. um which well, you know what you have said kind of mm. is uh, a, a footnote to that as well yeah. um is these values that I'm saying, if you're going to try and uh, emulate people, how do, you, how do you select the people you're going to emulate? You start with your own values. How do you start with your own values? How do you figure out your own values? You examine yourself. How do you examine yourself? You look at what you've found to be true. Um, you look at your own experiences. You look at uh, the tools that others have like um, uh, made available to you. Uh, there's this idea that uh, of of mental models, mm. right, uh, which we kind of spoke about mm. without uh, naming it. Mm. That you that most of knowledge is not stratified in the way we think it is stratified. Um, And one of my definitions of intelligence is one curiosity uh, and the second one, which is probably the pivotal one for me, concept transfer. The ability to transfer concepts from wherever they're from Mm -hmm. to wherever they're useful. Mm -hmm. To take the idea of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, w- whatever idea you're, you're, you're getting from, let's say, economics or physics or, or or mathematics, and be able to apply it broadly, usefully mm-hmm. uh, in 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 yeah. your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and, um, so that was actually your response. I would like to hear yeah. Sam, yes. yeah. How do you select
2: uh, models? What you take? Yeah. San to uh, Studio. <laughs> And, and how do you create space in your
1: life uh, to make sure that you are always mindful
0: mm. of the imitation that is yeah. happening, uh, and you create space to be original.
1: Yeah. Okay. okay. So so I my, my 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 answer is not gonna be very different from from, from Princely's. Um so I would agree that we are we are going to copy anyway. We we are copying machines anyway. Um, genetically and and also socially, but if you're gonna copy, at least copy from the greats. So I think that's that's one principle. Like that's why you need to just read and interact with the greats. Um, there's a reason classic literature and philosopher has not only existed but survived all these years. Lindy effect, you know. Um, so at least from the beginning start copying the guys who who did some things phenomenally well you know so so read the philosophers and you know, the thinkers um, and the older they are for me i found the more profound um, they tend to be because because the older they are means that their workers survive longer and they have dealt with more fundamental issues, not, not surface issues. So expose yourself as widely, as deeply, and as wildly as you can to as many thinkers as you can, you know, Part, partly because you never quite know concept transfer, you never quite know who is going to fit into your space quite right, you know, uh, and, and there is a danger for those of us who grew up with a certain with a, with a certain certainty about what philosophy you should kind of adopt there's a danger for us to push away everything else that doesn't look like our our yeah like our thing this is our belief this is our philosophy this is our religion there's there's Dogma. a danger mm. of being very dogmatic with with your with your frame so i think i think that is one and then two which is very difficult to do is adopt an orientation of extreme, almost childlike curiosity. And again, to echo what you just said, everyone interesting that I've met physically or on paper is someone who is just curious. Deeply curious. Extremely curious about almost everything, Mm. you know? Um, and, And we are born that way we are we are born pretty mimetic in in our disposition but we are also born to to want to figure things out and somehow that get that gets killed off along the way so mm-hmm. let's 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 adopt a very curious stance about people about things you know sometimes you meet people and they and they are completely different i remember when i was back in school I was talking to some of my my um, Indian colleagues and we were just talking about arranged marriage marriages at the time and I was just very curious you know you know we are young both of us believe we have agency so we should choose but but how how is it that you are happy for your parents right now we are in London how is it hap- how is it okay that there is a woman because he, he, you know, he was getting married. And I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised. I was just very curious. Mm -hmm. And we went into this deep philosophical discussion about what is choice who are, are you even you mm. do you know who you are how much agency do you have how much agency do you have are you less of you than your parents maybe your parents are a better representation of you and they're making better choices for you you know so so this idea that be very curious especially about people because people people will teach you things even the people you don't think have a lot to offer they will teach you things and there's a screw there's a nut somewhere that they will help you fix your your kind of your kind of vision and then being able to upgrade that framework especially when that framework is shocked because when the framework when you when you're when your framework is shocked you can either stiffen say you know something strange like and, yes <laughs> something strange happens to you and this is a very mental thing something unexpected happens to you. Something may be difficult or easy, but something that changes the way you view yourself, shakes your identity a little bit, shakes your view of the world. That is the moment of truth. Are you going to update your model or are you going to just stiffen and be very protective? Mm. And you can tell when you meet people who have never had to upgrade uh, their the ways the operating system their, their ways of thinking they either sink uh, down or they will never actually uh, you know uh, have this opportunity for what so I guess, I guess the important thing is a framework that is able to be upgraded informed by the information that you have but mm. I believe that there are I think you would call them meta truths, but, but um, there are, or maybe values that are a bit immutable, or yeah. at least they work. That's true. You know, some, some things are not necessarily factually true, but they work. And often you figure out why they work much later <laughs> in life by leaving them. Um, uh, and I'm just thinking here. Um, um, uh, Nasib Taleb called them um, opaque heuristics these are these are these are ways of Living and, and acting, are, a heuristic is a way of responding. Well, it's a shortcut. Way. It's a shortcut. Mm. And opaque means you don't quite see why it's designed that way. We were talking earlier about fasting, for example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fasting is one of those examples yeah. where I'm pretty sure the people who started the tradition of fasting thousands of years ago did not know about autophagy and cell cleaning and detoxing. They just knew it that works. if you took a break from eating for a few days, it works, you're healthier, you're better. And there are those principles in life that cannot readily be explained, but they work. And you shouldn't be afraid of saying, look, some of you may not understand this at a scientific level, but it works. And until it stops working for me, I'm gonna adopt it. And I think even even
0: children, right, for parenting or socializing, where someone who is far advanced in thinking than you are introduces you to an idea and they know that you don't have comprehension uh, that's developed enough to actually understand what they're talking about, right? And so of course most teachers or most parents will say, because I say so, you know, it's just like, yeah, follow, yeah, yeah. It's because I say so, because yes. they I know are, why it's just, good for you. Yeah. I, I can't explain why this is good for you. Yeah. Um, and that's why I like the idea of, I think even with uh, Jesus, when he left, he says, you know, um, teach my disciples to obey, right? That's what he said. It's mm-hmm. like almost like, make sure that they understand so they can make their own choice. Yeah. Not tell them, not like, you know, just model for them, yeah. but teach them. But there is an idea that I want to explore, and then I think you can speak into it as well. Yeah. Um, something that you mentioned there, right, these shocks that mm-hmm. sometimes can happen, yeah. uh, in, especially um, when you're introduced to different ideas. I think, it, so in Mimetic desire there is this idea that once someone is completely tied to a model, mm. um, it's impossible for them to escape that model without destroying their reason for being. And so, in detaching yourself from a model that you've been tied to for so long, mm. you will inevitably experience existential crisis. Mm. Yeah. And so, an existential crisis is a painful experience yeah. for anybody to experience, right? And so I recommend is- existentialism
2: highly for everyone because it allows you to be anti-fragile. <laughs> but we'll come to that. So, my
0: question I guess to, to you guys is, knowing that you guys both of you have been raised uh, in the Christian tradition, right? Have you ever, Mm. Found yourself at this place where you are exposed to either a model. That model could be a person. It could be mm. a body of knowledge mm. that completely shattered, you mm. know, um, your thinking mm. and it forced you to make a decision that I will continue on this path that I'm on Mm. or that I'm going to take a new path. And in taking a new path, Mm. you're essentially walking on this existential road where you have to question a lot of the things that you held so dear Mm. to yourself and you have to make a decision. You can't Mm. continue on, right? Um, And what were some of the choices that you you. made?
1: Mm.
2: All right, um, that's, that's a packed uh, and personal question. And um, I, I don't know, I, I think I would say for me, it's never been really a singular moment. I, I, I don't think I can tie my my transition into whoever I am today, whatever I believe uh, and the way I live into a singular moment in time, uh, but I've kind of organized it into a framework in my mind before. Um, I, I, I'm a, a narrative strategist for a le- living. I, I say I'm a storyteller, uh, but I help people kind of figure out their stories and, and businesses and all that. And the way I've figured out my own stories, these three red books in my life, it's, it kind of that I can kind of see... These three red books being the, the uh, transitional moments for me. Um, foundationally, the, uh, the Bible, uh, I come from a Christian family. My, my parents are both um, uh, pastors, uh, like many of us on this <laughs> In this chat, um, so so the Bible was you know like the, the, the foundational book like I said and and until today like my values are very Judeo Christian, um, but these three red books one uh, was this book of folk tales from around the world that somehow my mom and dad had lying around in uh, in my grandparents' house in, in Machame. And this book was just, you know, different, different folk, folk tales, um, that are not the typical ones, not Little Red Riding Hood, whatever, but, um, some more, maybe like slightly less common, uh, like the, the, um, they're from China, they're from Germany, from South Africa, Ethiopia, whatever. And there was like, I think it was a, a folk tale from each country in the world, what that book kind Of gave me is that there are perspectives beyond mine, right? There are perspectives beyond ours. Actually, our cultural perspectives are not the be all and all. Are not the only one. So I cannot hold them. Dogmatically, I have to allow myself to explore all these other, and and it's just a book of folk tales, and I was just a wee little boy, um, but it kind of gives you that foundation. Then I went to to um, I, I finished uh, high school, and I spent so much time uh, on my own around fifteen sixteen, and so much of what I know and believe today is because I did a lot of self exam- examination during fifteen sixteen. Uh, what I would do is is. Uh, what in, in biblical circles is called exegesis, where you kind of like spend time with, with a passage of scripture and you, you uh, kind of like, uh, exegesis is essentially Quranic, uh, analysis from the text, right? So you spend just one line of scripture and you look for the Greek word and you look for Sunini, you know, so you, you write down all of that Mm -hmm, A form of deep learning. So I took that, which is a skill that I kind of picked up from uh, my parents' books that were lying around, and I applied that to this other big red book that I had, which was a, a book of assorted literature that is for teachers teaching literature. Uh, so it would have the actual short stories and 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 whatever's inside, and then it would have the questions teachers should ask, the way they should prepare the lesson plans, mm-hmm, the commentary for it, and then I would take the lines from, and that's when I started reading Emerson and Thoreau, and uh, at that point I was considering being a transcendentalist, you know, because I agreed with so much of what Emerson and, and Thoreau was saying, and then I, that's how I, I I started, you know, discovering. Uh, uh, you know, Walt Whitman and all these, whoever the Americans study in, in, in American high schools for literature because I had their teacher's book. And that book uh, allowed me, because of the exegesis that I did, the the uh, my own like footnotes that I would make, it allowed me to really start thinking deeply and applying these lessons from these great books to my own Life. Uh, essentially I, I had no friends at the time that would come and visit there. I had one set of friends that would come to Cheze FIFA. And then we play FIFA and the rest of the day before as in a subu mpaka mdambo wanna kuya to cheze fifa mil na niho mue tunasoma na soma, na tendeo kubarabara ni gama ki na rudi, na andika, thenani. So that was the second one. And then the third one was uh in, in university, a book uh that had uh Soren Kierkegaard's Uh, either or, Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's, uh, a collection of uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's essays and uh, a little bit of like Albert Camus and whatever. So existentialism, um, where I started reading that idea, which resonated with some of the stuff I was reading in the Bible from Ecclesiastes about life being meaningless, about uh, kind of coming up with our own model for your life. So those three red books for me, uh, not a a singular moment. Those three red books for me were kind of like the 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 moments that kind of shaped my own self-examination, my own uh, trying to author the direction for my life. I can kind of say it. They allowed me to not take a typical career path. They allowed me to kind of be open to the idea that I don't have to to uh, do things the way everybody does them. I can actually hearken to the beat of my own drum. So that. That, that, that's, that's where I would say for me it wasn't a singular moment that gave me any cognitive dissonance or shocked my system um, and I'm glad that I found that because it allowed me to be anti-fragile which is a concept that we've not defined up to now
1: Sam, <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself? Um, i to update my My worldview so many times. Actually, in every dimension: relational worldview, spiritual, and a worldview physical worldview. I suppose um, it it will not be very different from from where from where you start. By the way, I recommend reading the bible even if you're not christian because it's just beautiful literature really i think i think what people don't realize is that the king james version i think um, from my reading of it is not only did they want to translate the bible from um from a different language latin or hebrew um they put together the best figures in literature in the sixteen in the i think in the late 1500s to come up with that book um, so it's just beautiful you know it 's like Shakespeare but with a with a, with a, with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with more with more punch and and you know and, and more content so so and 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 people don't realize well maybe people do but but we should appreciate how much of our modern world rests on that piece of literature, That'd be so. I mean, the thinking, yeah. our it's, legal system. Yeah, everything is it, is infused with concepts from our that values. book, our values. Sure. Yeah, so I think I think just just read that. It's beautiful reading, um, stories, poetry. Um, People like Paul, they have such an They're amazing better. way of writing. It's almost like you're talking, asking questions, getting, and and then and then the scary pieces like Revelation and mm-hmm. there's the people who are lamenting, like you know, you're Just like science fiction, exactly. Eh? Revelation, this, this, yeah, exactly, like <laughs> science fiction, you know. So I can see a lot of authors being inspired to write all kinds of books. I think
0: Harry Potter, the J.K.
1: Rowling, yeah, uh,
0: Tolkien, yeah. Movie
1: yeah yeah so so yeah so so this idea of myth evil good residing in the same person i mean how do you it's so integrated in 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 the in the in the in the the, the bible so so it's great it's it's fantastic that you have an. i had an opportunity to read it quite early in life but then i was shattered um, by a very small book i read called the age of reason Uh, by Thomas Paine. I think he wrote it in the 1700s or 1800s. I think I still have it somewhere. And it just destroyed me. Like, it absolutely damaged (laughs) the very foundation. Because what I grew up believing was that this book is not only factually true. It is literally true. It is factually true. And it is spiritually true. And then this guy comes in and pokes holes even at the basic foundations so of things like unconditional love. He says that's such an evil thing. Only an oppressor would demand that, you know, you love them with all your heart, mind and body, you know, and they don't have to necessarily love you and they will punish you. So he talks about I don't know, I do not want compelled love. I want voluntary love. But the first commandment <laughs> Of Christianity <laughs> is you shall shall yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So so it really messed me up. And then your God with all your soul it's, it's, total, it's total. You know? And you don't love him because he did something. You love him because he says you love him, right? Compelled. Um it's a compelled love. And then he talk he talks about other things about the things that are factual. Can anyone really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish? this is seventeen, eighteen hundreds. 1800s like who believes these things you know talks about he punches a lot of holes in my in my in my um in my belief of the bible so then then for about a few years um and unfortunately i was at this time of my life i was alone so in a way my parents and my church was not there to to kind of soften yeah, <laughs> the blow, the blow. Understand. You understand? So then I spent five years <laughs> alone, and then <laughs> we... yeah, and you get on this rabbit hole of atheistic writing, which, which, for the first time, challenged me about what I believed mm. and what I took as true, right? Mm. But then after a while, what I then realized is that. There's this idea of meta-truths where, forget about the facts. What is the central narrative? What is the central theme of this book, of this philosophy, of this literature? Which is, there is an ideal. In our ideal world is Christ. There is this valuable, imperfect, sinful human who needs an ideal to live a beautiful life. And it's an ever receding ideal because you'll never quite get to that level of perfection. So it's a growth mindset. That's what Christianity really is. It's a growth mindset that you're always growing internally to try and get to that level, you know? So and then and then my view, now my view about it became much more accommodative. And I could see people who did things that I didn't do or used to think are quite wrong and still appreciate that they are actually human beings and they are, you know, okay. They are people you can live with. So so that's an example where my framework had been really, really shattered. And I will insist that without that interaction I I would have still been a very weak believer, very defensive believer. Um, um, how did you journey back? Uh, I think I'm interested in that how did I uh, so I started reading you know your Dalton your Dalton yeah. your Christian You was one of my favorite you know militant um, atheists yeah like proper militant atheists and especially if I met Christians, I would really like to like "Why, yes. I'm like, guys you don't know anything <laughs> you know like do you actually believe in now like are you serious right now <laughs> <laughs> you know but but what i but what i came to believe and it was a very slow process what i came to realize is that when it comes to matters of faith there are things that are functional and whether they are factually accurate or not doesn't matter All right and it was a journey for me. so for example i do not necessarily care that the snake actually slithered and came to speak to him. I don't care. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. The reason I don't care is that what is the narrative, what is the message? Forget about the noise, what is the signal of that passage? Because mm-hmm. because, because if you look at if you look at the alternatives, look at the our African myths. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we maybe we haven't done a very good job of talking about it of preserving. It. But if you look at Alfela, Oléla, Paz, uh, all these stories are origin done, stories. I've done, started, I was I the, the issue is not whether Paz actually did that. Mm. You know, the issue is kindness. You know, and maybe the Bible is just a limit of the imagination of the people who wrote it. I mean, those were the myths at the time, the traditions, the, 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 the kind of laws at the time. But look behind the text. What is he communicating? What is the message? And I find it quite refreshing. But the other thing is, what you do you replace ever... it with? Do you
2: have i I've had a similar um, similar journey, I would mm. say. Maybe not as dramatic as yours because i i, I never uh, maybe one one advantage let me say um yeah. that, that i had is that um i was quite humble i don't know if that's the right word i you know i'm humble and i'm saying i'm humble you know it's probably useless but i was i was,
1: <laughs> I was uh, just just, just to you. i wasn't humble <laughs> I, I remember writing like that my yeah. formal Resignation, my, Exit my, my, yeah, it was a form of. <laughs> Exit I, I remember theory. writing it in Swahili. It was four pages, and I, my, 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 dog, my, my, my title was Sidianguka, Malishia kabisa njia. I, I have, the, I still have the I love <laughs> the read and I have my points and
2: that's it so funny. So, I, I, think, it. I think the, the humility I'm talking about is not just actually humility. I don't know how humble I am but yeah. epistemic humility okay. uh, humility of what I can know yeah. and I think I've kind of maintained that yeah. in the sense that um, even at the times when I questioned mm-hmm. my faith I also didn't I also questioned what I'm replacing it with. Whoa. You get, like, it's, it's not, it's like um, there is this, what helped me was that I wasn't reading Satka, mm-hmm. um who was very um, atheistic, mm-hmm. uh, existentialist, mm-hmm. and thinking he is telling me the truth because he's the first person to actually challenge my view of Christianity and to do it in a way that actually logically makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, it allowed me not to veer maybe as, as dramatically as you might have. But the realization that when I meet someone, another existentialist, like so- uh, Soren Kirtberg, mm-hmm. uh, who is a Christian existentialist, mm-hmm. to see how he kind of balances them out. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought, no, this guy is just afraid to mm-hmm. dish one label. Yeah. Uh, but then to find that, no, there is something functionally true mm-hmm. here. There is something uh, functionally useful mm-hmm. and life-affirming and life-expanding uh, within, not, not just the Bible, but the entire Christian mm-hmm. uh, tradition, um, because it wouldn't otherwise have lasted uh, yeah, as, long as, as long as it has, which brings us to the, the Lindy effect, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the Limby effect is, uh, has been popularized by uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, mm-hmm. like, quite a few of the other ideas we've discussed uh, today. And it's essentially <clears throat> uh, talking about how the stuff that has lasted longer than the other stuff will more li- will more likely, are more likely to outlast the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a, a convoluted way of, 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 of putting it. But essentially, things that have lasted long have faced an onslaught of uh, people Dawkins no, is not the first person to, to go against Christianity. Mm-hmm. Bennett and, and, and the likes are not the first ones to kind of question the validity of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sartre was doing it before them. Uh, the uh, people before that were doing that. The Romans, during Jesus' time, were questioning than me. But those functional, foundational truths have kind of lasted because there is some value, some mm-hmm. meaning uh, to it. And so you discard it uh, at, at your own, uh, at your own peril. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I think, yeah, uh, thank you, guys, both for being transparent and candid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. Um,
0: and I think, for myself, um, I've shared this story many times, mm-hmm. but it's a story that is layered with so many uh, different factors uh, mm-hmm. where I play, right? Because I think, much like you guys, I was raised a Christian. Um, even though my parents weren't necessarily in the ministry, but I had relatives, close relatives who were, like my, both my grandfathers were like, uh, my great grandfathers, sorry, uh, pastors, like one of the first ones, you know, when the, the missionaries came through. Mm-hmm. So I come from that tradition and I was raised that way, right? <clears throat> and I think for a long time, it was this whole idea, like, I think, is like, heaven, hell. I, um, I mean, if, I, if that's true, I don't even yes. <laughs> so it was really driven by fear, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I subscribed to many other ideas that were contradicted. Mm-hmm. So I was living in a constant state of dissonance and anxiety because it's like you're trying to, it's like you're too afraid to go this way, yeah. um, but you're like, you're not convicted enough to say I will stick here, will stick. right? Yeah. So I think I lived in that particular state for a very, very long time. I think I feel the shocks became now too much. I just have to, I have to re-think everything mm-hmm. and, and decide. Uh, Where I'm going, and I think for me, it was really more uh, it was a state where I need to find a meta model Mm -hmm. if I could use that. Yeah, something that will anchor me. It's like, I'm okay, I want to go and explore in the sea, but I need an anchor Mm -hmm. so that I know that you know what, I will not be too, I will not fall off the cliff, Mm -hmm. so that I know that I will not necessarily. so, So, for me, it was like, okay, what's the meta-model that I can use. I want something that I know that this is, like you said, this is the model of models of models, right? And I think for me... Jesus Christ. So, he was the model, but I think the the word, right? Um, The Bible for me was like, the model of models. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in fact, and that's why I I liked how, you know, the way you said, right? Like, 15, 16 was a time for you where essentially, most of your life is built upon everything that happened at that time, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for me... Upon really, I came to realize a lot of the people who lived consistently for a long period of time, they had those portions of time in their lives. You know? uh, Apostle Paul, I think mm-hmm. if you read the Bible, we realize he went to a radio for like three years, he disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back and he's like, this guy was lose to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people in history, we hear of stories where people, somebody just like suddenly it it disappeared. And then suddenly, even someone like Steve Jobs, in the, if you read his biography story, it's like there was a time It was one person, and then he was in a certain space for a long period of time, and then he came out of this completely different guy. Yeah, And then everything changes. And so for me, um, that was sort of like 2016, 2017, and I think I actually, I quit my job. I was intentionally unemployed um, for a long time because I was like, I need to figure out what is this meta model that I'm going to build my life around so that I'm actually consistent throughout. I'm not always changing. Even as much as I explore, I'm not necessarily exploring to a point where now I don't even know who I am, or I am constantly experiencing existential crisis, you know, and so, so, so that's what I did for myself in a sense. And actually, I went to even a degree of actually studying, like, theology, right? mm-hmm. actually, um, in terms of, working okay, how do you read the Bible as literature? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, like, all this book, like, how the poetry, what it authors, what's the history behind it, you know? What, so I went too deep into that, Enough to actually understand and say, you know what? Okay, can I actually build around this? Do I and what did they mean? So I, I think I approached. I went too deep into that, where now I can say that I am sort of like comfortable with that meta model that I've chosen for myself, right? And I think that that's an important thing because it's whole idea, of meta truth and truth, right? Where what's the overall idea? I think where mm-hmm. some people could do justice. Like okay, this is something that. Um, I will use or I will anchor myself around, right? Other people it could be could be love, um, other people it could be, you know, um, I don't know, scientific. Uh, for some people it's actually science where whatever science discovers, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they believe one thing, if you believe the earth is flat, and then suddenly you realize it's actually no, it's not flat, then you switch up, right? You're probably going <laughs> so, whereas for others it's more philosophical, and there are people who are like, interdisciplinary, right? It's yeah. like different things that you, know, you know, I guess I alluded to this whole idea of being as wide as you can. Mm. Um, and also, you know, probably that would like the whole idea of calibrate in terms of like, huh, You know, okay, I a certain amount to mm. let's abandon this and let's just actually get something um, else. But I think in all of that, do you guys think that even in exploration and everything else, does one, need to have like a mental truth, like a mental model. I think that as they're exploring, they know that they have a base. They know that they have a a home of sorts. It's like Mm -hmm. a human being, right? You can travel all across the world, uh, but you want to have a home, you know? It's like, you want to be a normal, just homeless, homeless, just like, yeah. Homeless, just always exploring. um, Because maybe it's like an essential need that we have as people to just Mm -hmm. have that anchoring thing. And maybe that's why it's very hard to completely disrupt religion, in a sense, mm-hmm. because even though they can't explain and this is something that I, I saw as well in the book by Jonathan Knight, where he says, a lot of the moral ideas that we have can't be rationally explained. And he, there was this experiment that was conducted. Well, not an ex- experiment, really. It's something that actually happened. Two siblings, like brother and sister, were having sex. Mm-hmm. And basically, they basically they fell in love and so he asked his students, is it wrong? And they were like, yeah, it's wrong. Why is it wrong? And the majority of the defense was really uh, like, ah, you know, children who are born as a result of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're deformed, they're like, they don't come out right. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, but they know that and they're not having sex to procreate. They're using protection a child will not result from there. Is it still wrong? Yes, it's still wrong. Why is it still wrong? Mm. And they couldn't explain it, right? It's like they couldn't. So it's almost like as people, there's this deep anchoring thing that we sort of like have that sometimes it's mm. sort of like hard to rationalize or to explain, which is something that you mentioned, right? It's all ideal, like, you know, but maybe my ability to know and understand a particular concept. So I guess my question, back like to the question here is, do you think there is a need um, for one to anchor themselves behind like a meta model of sorts? Um, so even in their exploration, there is still something. Mm. There is so a home to return There is a to. home to return to. Mm.
2: Um, I think the way I would answer that is not along the lines of should people do this or should they not? Because uh, I don't know. Maybe they should, maybe they should. Mm. It right? doesn't even matter to me. But what, the way I'd answer it is I know that it's useful if, they, if we do have some form of anchor, because uh, for, for a variety of reasons. The first one um, is the, this idea that we've discussed quite a lot. It's an idea I consider an original idea. It's something that I think about a lot, which is this dichotomy between precision and function, mm-hmm. right? And our world today uh, errs on the side of precision, even at the expense of function. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by this is, is is that we have this quest for precise truths, and we accept precise untruths, uh, even when we know they're they're untrue. We're more it's more it's easier for us to accept the science or the mm-hmm. the rationale, you know, something with with a well uh, um, exalted um, rationale than something that's functionally true, like the Bible, for example, that is functionally true and usefully true. Mm. Um, so, so it's it's an idea I think about a lot. This dichotomy between what's precisely true versus what's functionally true, and and while we should seek the the precisely true, um, the you know. We, we should be able to accept, you know, calibrate towards functional truth, uh, abstract, make it a little more useful. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonah and the whale, to, to Samuel's model here, that it isn't important that uh, whether it's
0: precisely true that... What kind of a fish it was, whether well, it was actually well, well
2: swallowed with a so you need, you need. Is that the point of that story? Is that, is that, is that the, the fundamental truth and the fundamental lesson I can pick from that, uh, from, from Jonah's story? Or is it more truthful to, to, to talk about how you know maybe you're calling and, and, and um, you're, you're following your conscience and, and not deceiving yourself and you're the easiest person to deceive? Uh, you know, like the first thing is don't deceive yourself and you are the easiest person to deceive. Yeah. Isn't that maybe something more useful that I can glean from that? Now, our world today will look at the story of Jonah and dismiss it on the grounds that this could not have been precisely true. There's no way a snake could have spoken to Eve, but there's no way Jonah could have spoken to... It uh, yeah. could have been shalom and, and stayed in the whales, whatever, for three days. Yeah. And then you miss... The functional truth of this, I mean. Now we've we've applied this a lot to 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 religion and to beliefs uh, because they are foundational. But um, it, it applies to to everything. Really, it applies to uh, what we believe about markets. It applies mm-hmm. to what we believe about doing business. It applies mm-hmm. to there is an upper limit to how much you as an individual. There is an upper limit to how much you as an individual. Can know.
0: There's
2: an upper limit uh, to how much you as an individual can can, uh, believe in your, you know, precisely, right? Can know precisely. Mm -hmm. But the functional, foundational truths, which often are the ones that have lasted for uh, thousands Mm -hmm. of years, those ones are generally useful regardless of how opaque. Yeah. Uh, they are. Yeah. So that, that's the first part. Like we, 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 it's, it's useful to have an anchoring uh, metamodel, an anchoring place, to believe let's say in Christianity or in the Bible uh, or to have that as a home to return to because you, can, you know for a fact that these things are functionally true. They've, they've been functionally true, they've been useful for billions of people across millennia. The second reason, though, is more psychological, uh, and, and, and the psychological part here is it's not just that you should save yourself the dissonance, but you should save yourself the anxiety, you should save yourself the mental breakdown, you should save yourself just the amount of cognitive um, dissonance and problems that you are going to face by not having some form of anchoring. Uh, I mean. now, if I ascribe to uh, like existentially speaking, thinking, I see that you don't, you know, like you, you can design that for yourself. You can design that anchor for yourself. Mm. Uh, would I suggest that for most humans? No, I wouldn't. It's even like the process of designing that, it would go crazy, you know. So maybe if you find something which I would personally highly recommend. The the the, uh, the model of grace that Christianity has, you should pick that the one that you find. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm if I'm yeah. making sense. Yeah. There's two things. First, we know that these things are functionally true, uh, you, and you can find pockets of functional tr- truth outside yourself. And then the second one, for your for personal, individual, psychological reasons, you're gonna go crazy uh, if you don't. Or you put yourself at risk of going crazy if you don't. So. Mm-hmm. It's good to have a home
0: to return to. Feels yeah. safe. So, so, so I think this is a good segue to <laughs> this thing that we said we're gonna start with, and exactly. that we never did. Yeah. Um, anti-fragility. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that's you know, kept coming up. Um, because like I said, I think, even as we talk about this existential crisis, for example, mm-hmm. like the example, of the, I mean the story that you told, mm-hmm. most people at that point completely collapse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I know a number of individuals who collapse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but we're all here. The fact that we're all here considering, I guess, everything that every person has experienced, mm-hmm. there is some level of, or at least a certain strength in our ability mm-hmm. to be anti-fragile in the different aspects mm-hmm. of our lives. So I think before we dive too deep into that, mm-hmm. uh, maybe if you could explain what is anti-fragility. It's something that for anyone who's curious enough. I'm sure you've come across the concept of anti-fragility. Mm-hmm. How would you explain to someone who doesn't even know yeah. what it is? I think the the easiest way
2: that I found to explain anti-fragility is to pull it on the spectrum and to go from fragility to uh, fragility uh, to anti-fragility. Mm. So um uh, this, this is a concept from Nassim nicholas Taleb. A few of the ones we've discussed have been either conceptualized by him or popularized by this guy. Great thinker, you should definitely check him out. Um, and he speaks of uh, fragility being things that don't like disorder,
0: things that break when things are not uh, ordered. So things that break under stress, under chaos, under randomness, uh, and over time, right? Which this glass will
2: be considered. Exactly. So the, the reason we consider uh, this glass fragile is that it's stable as it is now, but if I just let go of it, I won't do the practical example, <laughs> <laughs> but if I just let go of it and introduce some disorder into mm-hmm. its any or shock into, into its system, the system breaks. So that's a fragile system. Now, most of us, we contrast fragility with robustness, right? Uh, what I mean here is we, co- we contrast, we say the opposite of, of uh, fragility is something that doesn't break, fragility. right? The opposite of things that, yeah, the opposite of something that breaks is something that doesn't break. So if I take a piece of wood and I drop it, most likely it's not going to break. So we say, okay, this is the opposite of, of fragility. Um, But talent introduces uh, a third category uh, along this this spectrum, which is Mm -hmm. anti-fragility, which what it is, is that it it doesn't just, it's not just stuff that doesn't break when there's shocks Mm -hmm. and when there's disorder and when there's randomness. It's stuff that actually gain from disorder, it's systems that actually become better uh, with disorder. A very good example is the human uh, immune system, right? You introduce stressors to uh, a human, uh, to our immunity, um,
1: our immune systems find a way to
2: fight it, and not just fight it, they don't just survive it, if they survive yeah. They don't just survive the stressors, the shocks, the randomness, the disorder, they actually become better. Mm-hmm. You know, you may suffer you now, next time you get that disease, you're stronger. You're, like, you're actually better at fighting off that, that disease. Mm-hmm. So that's an antiferative system. Africans can get really high uh, amounts of malaria because they've faced this malaria, uh, you know, the Plasmodium, thousands of times somebody new comes in, their union is not able to handle it. So, so th- that's an example of like an anti-fragile system. Yes. And, and Sam can give more
1: yeah. elucidation and examples. Yeah, so so I think maybe I, 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 there's very little that is what is useful that I can add to that. <laughs> but um, I think my reading of, first of all, it's one of the... One of the best lenses to, to look at you know, virtually anything you know, around us, this, uh, this idea of fragility and anti fragility. But, but two things that, that come out you know, of your, your explanation. One is do not confuse stability with the absence of fragility, mm-hmm. things can be very stable and still be very, very friendly, right. Right. right? And, and look, at, look at it in any conceivable way. If you, let's say, have a business that uh, depends on things being stable and formal and a certain way, you can run that business for years fine you pay. you pay employees, you'll be profitable, you run everything. Okay. But if you have, a let's say, a weak balance sheet where you're in debt, uh, heavy leverage, leverage, maybe your customers are, are the same customers. Any one change of those dynamics could kill the business. You're stable, but you're very fragile. Think of it with um, even relationships, right? You may have a great uh, relationship, let's say within the family or within a marriage, but that's probably because the financial situation is stable, is stable, right? You realize that you are actually fragile when there's a shock financially, and then you realize actually we did not have a stable marriage; we just had. No, we didn't have an, we didn't have a just robust or anti fragile marriage. We just had a very fragile marriage, but everything was still that's great. I, I guess mean,
0: when you know, when like, you think of it, I guess the vows that we all make are anti fragile vows, right? Because yeah. so <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, we I mean, say it's you
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 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 any, any your body physically, you know. That's why physical exercise is a good thing. Not because it makes you um, stable, but it exposes you to the variation of heart rate and, and things like that, so that you are able to fight mm-hmm. as a body and withstand shocks when things come. You know, and, and organic systems generally love shocks. If if I just if I just sit here and never walk. It's gonna be two or three weeks before my legs lose their their ability to to walk because it requires stress, walking is stress, working hard is stress. So so this idea that shocks should help improve the system is really important, that's one. And then two, it challenges us, it challenges us to love shock and stress. Think about how you raise children. We want things to be perfect, we want things to be super clean. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't, they shouldn't even you know, get mud at maybe, but actually it's the germs that make it better. Mm-hmm. We, want, we want, so what we want to do is expose ourselves, our institutions mm-hmm. to calibrated levels of stress and sometimes poison so that we don't die of poison. Uh, Nicola uh, Tallaght talks about, I think it's called homogenesis, Mm -hmm. where ingesting a small dose of poison is good for you because it is actually, I think a Greek uh, philosopher. Mm -hmm. It's a Greek idea that there's a guy who was, was to be killed by poison and he knew that was going to happen. So he started taking small doses of poison. And by the time he's, he his time to drink the poison cake, he, he didn't die. It's because he's built up for his yeah, life. Um, to, and, a, and, a,
0: and the reason I embrace that is because I embrace the fact that trouble, challenges, problems, stresses, mm. unfortunate events mm. are inevitable. Yeah? Yeah. I don't control whether or not they happen, they will happen. Yeah. Um, in all aspects of life, whether it's financial, whether it's relational. Mm. Whether it's political, I mean, problems will come, right? And so it's not so much about living a life hoping that mm. you won't experience any problems, you won't experience any challenges, mm. but how do you prepare yourself mm. to not be completely really disrupted by the problems? And mm. I think, so for me, um, for a long time, I was thinking of it in terms of resilience, right? Mm. I want to make sure that I can withstand, I can withstand. And I think an example that I, I use is um, was la- last year when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "Wait a minute! Mm-hmm. There is a possibility that she could go." Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, I had already been practicing, you know, stoicism at that point, mm-hmm. and so. I started like, sort of like rehearsing There are times where Mm -hmm. I would be at home and I would rehearse the entire thing. So let's say this actually goes down. Mm -hmm. And I would play out a number of times Mm -hmm. where I would get to a point where I am okay with that possibility. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I wasn't so terrified of the idea, right? Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what? God forbid this happens, and thankfully it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go through it, Mm -hmm. right? resilience. Mm. But I think when you introduce me to the idea that, no, no, wait a minute, it's actually the next level. We should be the desire that no, no, no. You don't just go through it. You yeah. actually grow and are better as a result of this happening, right? Yeah. Yes. And so I started looking at, okay, this is actually, a, a it's like a brilliant way of living because mm-hmm. you actually, going back to the Bible, mm-hmm. is there's a verse that was always very weird to me, where I think James, who was the brother of Jesus, he says, um, rejoice when you go through troubles. Yep. And I'm like, what? How do you rejoice yeah, when yeah, problems yeah. happen? Yeah. And then he breaks it down and you know, produces perseverance, character, mm-hmm. and so I always read that, but I think the anti-fragility framework was oh, same, yes, same. Made, made, made it make sense, so I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, so I should celebrate when I go through problems mm-hmm. because I'm actually improving. As a result, yeah. when you introduced yeah. me to this idea, I'm extremely paranoid now, when my life is like, <laughs> stay <festive laughs> and smooth, because I'm like, wait a minute, it must be something, I'm missing. something I'm missing here, or oh, oh that I'm actually, I'm, I can't celebrate, because I'm like, I'm not becoming better, I'm not becoming stronger. You're wasting away. I'm, yeah, I'm wasting You're away, wasting and so, stresses. Mm-hmm. exactly, so I guess, now i want to sort of like, break it down in like, practical terms, right, for mm-hmm. people. Um, and I wanna focus on like, I guess, a few areas. Mm-hmm. One is financial. Mm-hmm because a big part of our lives, right? Especially modern life. Um, a lot of the problems are tied to finances. Mm. I think there's that quote, right? Most people are one medical bill away from poverty. Mm. Um, so that's one. And then a two, relational, right? Mm. Because I, that's another big part of our, mm. of our lives as so, well. And I think three, if that's even possible to actually do that as well, in terms of careers, like, is it even possible to actually uh, build <laughs> too fragile mm. Work life or career life, or whatever however that looks like, if it's possible to actually break down those three aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, if whatever other areas that you think will be useful for the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the very end. We had to cut the rest of the conversation due to bad audio, but hopefully, some Princely and I will get a chance to speak again sometime soon. Happy New Year. This has been the Y-Lead Others podcast brought to you by Y-Lead Consultancy. Wilded Consultants is a capacity-building firm that exists to build highly productive and innovative leaders. To reach us, go to www.wildedothers.com.